It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's up, guys? It's Tommy from Tommy's Podcast. Do you have a podcast? Do you want it censored? Then go to YouTube. Go to Reddit. Go to iTunes. If you don't want it censored, go to Spotify or Rumble. But Spotify pays me more than Rumble, so I'm going to record this ad for them. You can upload it. Trust me. Whether you got a crappy podcast on a, on a MacBook above your parents' garage and it's echoing and everyone can hear the despair and desperation in every syllable you try to eke out without wanting to cry... Or whether your podcast starts to actually make a couple shekels and you got a cool apartment and an air conditioner that works most of the time. Use Spotify. Use Spotify for podcasters. Yeah, you'll start off getting a couple pennies, but I'm several years into it now and I've made, I don't know, I think about a thousand bucks. It's better than nothing. It's better than working at a liquor store with people you hate, with customers you hate, and a boss that hates you. So join Spotify for podcasters and you'll actually start making money. It's worked some it's worked for me. I'm really tired. Jared Woodfield on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, and you have the patience of a god, which I tell way too many guests, which I think is probably indicative of myself. But Mr. Woodfield, please introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Well, Tommy, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Jared Woodfield. I am the attorney for uh, the Methodist plaintiffs and a whole host of plaintiffs across the country who are standing up against these unconstitutional vaccine mandates we're seeing at every level, whether it be the local level, the state level, uh, or the federal level. We're also representing a whole host of individuals uh, that are standing up for their religious liberties because they're being denied religious exemptions and medical exemptions. We really started early on in this COVID-19 jurisprudence or litigation, as I call it, by taking on these unconstitutional uh, lockdowns that we saw, not just in Texas, but all across the country. A lot of folks don't realize what was happening in Texas early on, but we had similar measures like those that we we saw in the more liberal states where our governor actually put executive orders in place that locked individuals down, shut down businesses, put them in masks, you name it. So we've been uh, standing with individuals all across the country, specifically here in Texas in large numbers, trying to fight these unconstitutional mandates, and we will be successful. So what do people, <clears throat> so I guess it's just kind of a divine intervention that we're doing this now, because in the last, last two weeks, I've, I've, interviewed, I've interviewed two doctors who have lost their jobs because of this. Uh, Dr. Merrill Nass, an internist who's been an internist for, I think, 33 years up in the state of Maine, absolutely brilliant. She had her license suspended and is being required to do a, a psychological exam because of four things. She prescribed ivermectin, she prescribed hydroxychloroquine, and two counts of spreading harmful misinformation. Um, Dr. Uh, Paul Merrick, who I interviewed on Tuesday, 
a quadruple board certified physician, was forced by his hospital to stop prescribing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and other early treatment protocol drugs, and was forced to watch seven of his patients die from COVID, the youngest of whom was 31, which is also my age. I talked last night to uh, Dr. Uh, Latulip, who, uh, Army, or excuse me, Air Force veteran, lost his job and in, in, had his license revoked in, I think, late 2020 or early 2021 because he wasn't using masks in his practice. And actually a fourth, um, Dr. Eddie Bowers, a National Guard uh, surgeon, I believe, who lost his job because he wouldn't take the vaccine. They're very, very effective. I mean, you have to respect the enemy. They're very effective, right? You, you don't have to take on everyone. You just need to make an example out of a few prominent people. And you got to let them know you can touch them, right? Not just, not just me, not just the nurse. I mean, you got to take down a doctor. The rest of the doctors take note. How do these people get help? How do they band together? How, because this is, the, it's not, it's not it, I'm trying to keep my language PG. It's not right what they're doing. It's, it's horrific. It goes against every medical ethic. It goes against the Nuremberg Code with a informed consent and coercion. It goes against every rule about doctors being able to use drugs off-label. What do these people even begin to do? Well, you know, you nailed it. I mean, the goal of the other side is to make an example of a few individuals in order to quiet or shut up those who are in the same situation who want to take a stand, but they just don't have the courage quite yet. And then they see someone who does do what they want to do, get knocked down and attacked. And in many cases, unfortunately, it causes them uh, to sit down and shut up. But thank God we do have folks like Dr. Merrick who has not backed down. And we've been working with him on, on, on some of our cases. And another great example is Dr. Peter McCullough, who I know has been on, on your show. And he's been working with us as an expert witness in a lot of our cases. But again, they came after him. Yeah. And he didn't didn't sit down and shut up. Instead, he got more vocal and he got more, louder and more strong in, in his position and standing for truth and justice and what is right. And so the whole secret to defeat these individuals is to stand up and speak up, refuse to be quiet and let your voice be heard because the worst thing you can do is allow them to intimidate you into silence, to beat you into submission. And that's really what they're trying to do. I mean, they do it in all industries. They do it in, in the legal industry. They do it in uh, with the doctors that you're talking about. We've clearly seen it with nurses. We see and then those in businesses attack them. They vilify them. They make them feel like there's something wrong with them. So that is the goal of this politically correct narrative that they're pushing that is inconsistent with the science is to get these folks, beat them into submission so they will not stand up and assert their rights. And they have a lot of rights under the law. And we've seen those rights trampled on at the national level, at the state level, and at the local level. And that's where we need to go to that we need to go to battle. We need to go to battle in the courts and all of those levels. And we need to stand up and speak up. Is there any precedent for what's going on right now? Great question. And so I was talking to someone about that today. So we have a case right now uh, that's going to the Fifth Circuit. It involves the Methodist uh, nurses. You may remember that. It was really the first lawsuit filed. Uh, we were in front of a trial judge. A trial judge decided that, federal trial judge decided that there wasn't a cause of action in the law. And so he granted what's called a 12B6 motion to dismiss. We have that now in front of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is a very conservative circuit. And so I think we have a, a good opportunity of being successful there. And so uh, when you talk about precedence, the answer is no. We are developing this 
jurisprudence with respect to COVID-19, whether it be the shot, whether it be the lockdowns, you name it. Now, there's case law that they try to rely on, like Jacobson versus Massachusetts from the early 1900s and other cases that really are not applicable to the situation that we're in right now. Because as you know, this particular drug that we're talking about here has been administered in large part under the EUA status, the emergency use authorization status. And that puts it in a very different category than any drug that is really approved by the FDA. This drug hasn't been technically approved by the FDA. They want to pawn it off and say it has been, but we know that typically that process is many, many years in the in the making. And even though they've got that so-called approval, um, you know, I think there's a big argument to be made that it's an approval slash non-approval. So we are developing the jurisprudence in this area right now. And over time, as the science continues to develop cases and the law is starting to swing more in our favor. So if you were to file something or when we started filing things back in, you know, uh, April, May, June, July, 2020, and then into early 2021, the judges were in almost all cases were taking a very different approach to the litigation that we are pursuing than they are now. And so one of the the case that we have with um, the Methodist nurses, we're asked the Texas Supreme Court to look at it. So when you go to the Fifth Circuit, you can do something called certifying the question. So we're certifying the question and asking the Fifth Circuit to send it over to the Texas Supreme Court to determine what state law should be. So here's why that's important. Texas and many states are employment at will states, meaning that you can fire someone for any reason unless there's an exception carved out, whether that's carved out by a statute or by a court decision from the highest court of that state. In Texas, because this is a case of first impression, we don't actually have our legislature passing a statute with respect to these shots, but we do have a whole host of executive orders that say you can't force individuals to take the jab, that you can't force individuals to have these vaccine passports. We have a lot of uh, good executive orders that help us to argue in front of the Texas Supreme Court that there should be a public policy exception created to the employment at will doctrine that says you can't take someone, you can't force someone to take the COVID-19 jab as a condition for employment. So we are hopeful and we believe that the public policy behind this is consistent with our view and that the law is consistent with our view and that the Texas Supreme Court will ultimately carve out an exception to the employment at will doctrine for that fact pattern. So further not being precedents and, you know, nothing carved out, no exceptions makes sense, right? Because it's, well, this hasn't been around for long, but could you not, could you not possibly draw a parallel between the EUA? Could there not be a, a legal uh, EUA, if you will, like, Sure, there's a reason why no one's ever used this drug, and there's a reason why there's normally what uh, phase one, two, and three FDA clinical trials take 15 years, $1.5 billion. And the reason we didn't do it is because warp speed, pandemic, you kind of got to throw stuff off the side. All right, sure. Well, you know, just leave that there. Could you not argue then there has to be a legal parallel to that? Be like, all right, this is granted. It's very weird. You know, right after 9-11, the passing of the Patriot Act and the NSA's broad surveillance powers. But you also had kind of an uptick in the FISA courts. It's it's like, OK, we, we can do this thing, but there has to be parallel EUAs. There has to be, well, now we're going to have emergency legal authorizations. And if you're not OK with that, well, then you can't have the other. So 
like fighter jets. Like I'm, I just finished a book about 9-11 had on the author. So it's fresh in my mind, like fighter jets streaking over lower Manhattan on the evening of September 11th or police with, you know, fully automatic weapons on the lawn of the White House on September 12th. Stuff that you have to do. We're under attack. But they're also were like, we need to there has to be that we can't let this go unchecked. It can't go on forever. We have to have these legal things. Is there such thing as a sort of legal EU way to say, this is brand new, it's a pandemic, I get it, but you also have, you can't just throw people into this and say, you got to take the jab. There has to be a sort of exception, because if we're only doing an exception for one thing, people might not believe this, but the companies profiting off of this one thing might abuse it. So is there any reality in that, or is that just wishful thinking? No, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head because actually federal law addresses that. You look at 21 U.S.C. Section 360 Triple B, it makes it very clear that when you have a drug that's in the EUA, EUA status that you have to give informed consent. And what does that mean? That means that as you go and look at the detail of that particular statute, it says the individual has to have the opportunity to accept or reject the product or the drug that's in the EUA status. There's also a code of federal regulations which says that you cannot use coercion or undue influence to get someone to take the drug that's in the EUA status. So it's our position that if someone does, if their job is contingent upon it, if the ability to put food on the table, to make their house note, their light note, uh, you name it, is contingent upon them uh, taking an experimental drug then that is not informed consent. Clearly, it is coercion and undue influence if you say to someone that if you want to keep this job, that if you want to be able to put food on the table for your children and to continue to live in that house, you got to take that shot. That's undue influence. That's coercion. And so that's one of the arguments that we're making at the federal level, and really in all of our cases, to say that this is what the law says. Now, what happens is the other side, like some of these hospitals and employers all across the country are running from it and saying, well, that language only applies to the exact group that is administering the shot or the EUA product. So they try to make this subtle distinction to say, well, we're not the ones actually administering it. We're just an employer. And therefore that doesn't apply to us. And so that's the battle we're having right now in the federal courts. But regardless of whether or not that particular statute applies to the employer, we still believe that there are a whole host of great policy arguments as to that, are, that are consistent with that language that would encourage or persuade the Texas Supreme Court or any state court to carve out an exception to the employment at will doctrine uh, based on the unique set of facts that we're dealing with here that and, and, our, and that our position is consistent with the federal law and the policy behind the federal law. So that's the nuance of the legal argument that we're dealing with right now at the federal level. We also pled uh, the Nuremberg Code and the principles behind the Nuremberg Code. Um, a lot of people, you know, try, the left on the left specifically tried to make fun of that. Uh, but, you know, that, that's all about informed consent. That's all about an individual not being forced to put uh, a drug in their body without their consent. And when you say to someone, you either have your job or you take this experimental drug. Well, that's not truly informed consent, in my opinion. No, not at all, especially when there's a non-zero percent chance that you, you'll you get myocarditis or Guillain-Barre syndrome. Like there's you can't. But it's it's. 
it's unlike anything because like you can't talk out about it. If the foremost experts in the world talk out about it, they get censored. Like there's no recourse for you're they literally have no liability against this. And they're not they don't even have to sell it at like market price. It's not like World War Two where they're going around to the defense contractors and kind of saying, Hey, you get this percentage of profit and this only because we're fighting the Nazis. Like that's not even a thing. Like they're raking it in. So with that is there any way – does this seem – and I don't know if you, you'd be able to answer this or if this is even within the scope of this conversation. But it, all, it does kind of seem like this weird like showdown of titans where it's like this almost in a weird way will sort of like – and this is an odd take – unite the left and the right because as it concerns to Roe v. Wade, it's like now we decide for good. Is there bodily autonomy? And it – no, it's no, I get an abortion, but you have to take the jab. No. Okay. Well, I don't want the jab. It's my body. My choice. Okay. Is it a weird thing where kind of both people are, you know, the bluffs are being called, the masks are falling off and it's like, how hardcore are you? What do you believe in? Well, that's exactly right, Tommy. And, and that's something that I've noticed from day one is that those on the left who are constantly arguing for abortion rights, suddenly when it comes to bodily autonomy here and the right to make a choice with respect to your body and whether or not you want an experimental drug placed in it that you can't get rid of, suddenly that's no longer a viable choice or decision. So there's a complete contradiction that we're seeing on the left and for those that are pro-abortion. You nailed it on the head. And to go back to something else that you said as you were talking about the drug companies and things of that nature. What's also very unique about this EUA product that's being administered is let's say you do have an adverse reaction, that there is an adverse consequence, whether it be myocarditis and the whole host of other things that have been linked to this particular jab. Well, you're limited to a very narrow set of remedies under what's called the PrEP Act. And so you are it's an administrative body that's created to address injuries resulting uh, from the COVID-19 injection. And unlike a typical drug case where you might have a drug, uh, let's say, Vandia, whatever, you name it, some of the big cases that we've seen, your damages are extremely limited. So we had a case where a young man, 16 years of age, and uh, prime of his life, great health, athlete, um, thought his school was going to require him to take the jab. So he decided just, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to get it. Uh, dad wasn't that informed on it. So a neighbor took him, took the jab. Within 48 hours, he had a heart attack and died. Now, that individual, that individual, if you when you file their claim in the PrEP Act, because he was only 16, doesn't have any lost wages, because he died almost immediately and didn't have any real medical bills, His life is valued at zero under the PrEP Act, zero. And so going back to what you said about the drug companies, taxpayer dollars are funding it. They're funding all of of these jabs. And then when there's an adverse consequence or reaction, there's almost complete immunity when you try to hold them accountable for it. So I, I mean, it's just awful the scenario that's been created for individuals across this country. I've heard from, and you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough in that I've, I've worked my ass off to have this podcast so that I can be my own boss and do whatever I want. For people, I have heard that for, you know, I talked to um, uh, Jennifer Bridges the other day, the nurse from, I believe, yeah, Methodist. She said, and I've heard this before, don't quit, get fired. Is there a 
is there like a mode of action? Is there like a, you know, stop, drop and roll? Is there like something that physicians should know about, hey, I'm, I'm going to kind of get, you know, like civil disobedience where you get like peacefully arrested. Is there something they should know about how to go about this to set themselves up legally in the best possible way? Like I'm an idiot. If it was me, I'd start screaming about the Nuremberg Code and, you know, throwing punches and threatening people. And I would just be completely off. So it wouldn't work (laughs) for these much well, more well-respected, well-rounded, stable physicians who know what they're doing and are, you know, truly believe in what they're doing and are willing to act on that, is there a way to go? Like, it's still bad, but is there a way to make it a controlled demolition instead of just getting knocked over? Well, and yeah, Jennifer is a hero, and uh, she's one of our clients, our lead plaintiff in the Methodist case at the Fifth Circuit right now. But, you know, individuals like her, they're warriors on the front lines, uh, actually, you know, putting their values uh, to walk in the walk. I mean, she lost her job, and as a result of taking a strong principled stand, but she didn't sh- sit down and shut up. She just got more vocal and started educating people on what was going on. But looking at her case is a great example. So you have a situation where they told her that she needed to have the jab by a certain date. And if you didn't take it by that date, then you were on administrative leave. And that was the 14 day period where they tried to starve you out and they wanted to see what you felt like, what it would feel like for you to not have a paycheck. And then, Hey, you do it within these 14 days, you'll keep your job. But for those 14 days, let's see if you enjoy not having a paycheck. So awful. I mean, I, it's just outrageous. So you can't even do that in this country, but it is what it is. And that's why we're going to court. But the point is though, don't quit. If you quit, then they come back with the argument, well, you just yeah, quit. You quit. So you didn't have to battle that. Even though it's constructive termination, you don't even want to have to deal with that argument. So, you know, stand up. And, and another thing to be sensitive to, because a lot of people have sincerely held religious beliefs in this area, and the law, the employer has to provide an option for you to file a religious or medical exemption. So not only do you want to challenge the policy, but if you do have a sincerely held religious belief that prevents you from taking the jab, then you need to request an exemption. And then you look at what the reasonable accommodation is. If you have a medical condition that you believe uh, qualifies you, then you should submit it too and let them reject it if they're going to reject it. And then you have an opportunity then to pursue the offender on in, under different statutes. And so, uh, you know, after, if you are terminated, though, you do have a duty to mitigate your damages, meaning just look for another job. And uh, like in Jennifer's case, you know, she was able to find uh, employment uh, afterwards and because um, there are others that actually believe what we believe in, in that field and in, in other fields. So uh, don't quit if they're trying to, they're trying to, that's what they want you to do. They want you to just quit. And then later when you come back and you want to, uh, hold them responsible. Their position is always, well, you just quit. We, you know, we can't help it that you wanted to quit. And so don't quit. That's the, the answer to that question. Clearly, I have no legal expertise, so you'll have to entertain my, my softball questions. I was a biology major. Is there any way you could frame this? Because disproportion, uh, disproportionately, uh, black people and people of color have gotten the jab at much lower percentages than Caucasians or Asians. And I mean, I would imagine you could go back to the Tuskegee experiments and, and validate their reasoning. Is there any way this could be framed because it's disproportionately effective or affected against them? Is there any way you could frame that that this is a hate crime? 
Now, that's not something I personally believe, but seeing as how that's used every day now for something, if I'm a lawyer, I'm going to go, hey, I'm, I'm going to use any weapon I can. Could you not argue that, hey, disproportionately black people are being fired? Is that not an argument or is that kind of is that going low? You know, it, it definitely is a, an, an argument that could be made in ter- terms of disparate impact upon uh, uh, African-Americans, Hispanics, or a, a group of individuals that don't ch- take the shab in as high of numbers. Haven't seen it done yet, but definitely it's, I know, been talked about uh, across the country with lawyers that are handling these types of cases. But it's definitely something that would potentially be viable. I would be a terrible lawyer. Um, no, you would. <laughs> you take your science background with the legal background; it would be fabulous. I'll jump right into it. I'll go to war. For this, is there any is there any argument that could be made? And I hate these sort of like tiptoe arguments where people are like, "How about if the you know if I can sue Pfizer, then I'll take it?" And it's like, well, no, you're still giving in. They took a mile, and now you're agreeing on half a mile. And it's like, no, you don't get anything. Just like I shouldn't get anything from them. So. But there are things like, hey, you know, natural immunity should count. Like I've had COVID. So like natural immunity should count, which I still hate because it's like, no, 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 we're not asking permission for anything. Stop. And then, you know, it's people that get the vaccine cards and they're like, hey, man, I got a fake. And it's like, don't when you present it, you are giving into it. So that being said, I'm now going to uh, propose the very thing I just argued against. Could it be argued that until Pfizer releases all of the data, which they don't want to release for 75, now I believe 55 years, and I know it's been brought down and judges are saying it's got to be out in five months, but that seems like it's all still up in the air. Is there anything, is there any argument that could be made that you can't mandate something if we're not even allowed to know it's in? I mean, we, we've already accepted like like sheep that we can't sue them. Could you not make that argument? You at the very least have to disclose what's in it. And again, I hate that argument because I'm more of a no, just no, none. But because it's more nuanced than that, is there any validity in that? Absolutely. And that fact, that's one of the arguments that we're making at the Fifth Circuit right now is if you look at the fact sheets, you look at the information, much of the material that's in the product is proprietary. So you don't know what you're getting. And so how can you give informed consent when you don't even know what's in the proprietary concoction of the injection that's being placed in your body? So I think they have some real challenges there, in my opinion. Um, Yeah. Secondly, going back to a point that you made, if you even want to sue the drug company, there's there's a legislation in place that protects them. And it makes it extremely difficult to get around the hurdles that have been put in place to sue a Pfizer or a Moderna or J&J. And so they created a situation where it's extremely difficult for an individual who has an adverse reaction or is killed as a result of taking the jab to actually pursue a remedy in a court of law uh, against the manufacturer of a drug. And so I've never seen that happen before. I mean, it, it, you don't have that with respect to almost any drug that I'm aware of out there where you have this type of immunity as a corporation, a private corporation that's making trillions of dollars off a drug that you're placing in the in the market. And so it's a it's a situation in my mind that is legally inconsistent with what we've seen over the past hundred years of jurisprudence. 
which is completely unequitable in terms of favoring the drug makers, meaning they get all the taxpayer dollars to fund uh, the drug. And then if something goes wrong, they can't be held accountable. And so it's just a situation that I think we're going to have to ultimately address at the highest court of the land. And we'll see what happens there. As you know, we've seen the two uh, decisions that came out recently, the OSHA decision, which was favorable. And then you saw the CMS decision, which was not as favorable. But again, that was a 5-4 decision. And that only dealt with the injunction that was in place uh, as a result of the Louisiana court and the Missouri court. And the Fifth Circuit had, the lower courts had ruled in our favor against the mandate. And then the Supreme Court removed the injunction with respect to the CMS mandate. And they're expecting briefing on the merits. But you know, these are battles that we're going to continue to fight. I was happy about the OSHA result, uh, not pleased with the CMS result, but that battle's not finished. For jobs that that give you health insurance, but but no one's responsible for what happens if you get the jab, just like Pfizer, just like whatever, Bob's Auto Parts. But you do have health insurance for, you know, you, you, you have a heart attack, but completely 10 years ago, forget even the vaccines, you have a heart attack and, you know, whatever, you're an executive at Walmart, like you do have, you know, they'll they pay for this, not just sick leave, but you also get just health insurance, right? How does that tie in? Do they have to start ciphering through your own health issues? You know, Bob got cancer. Okay, like we at Walmart, we have whatever Walmart care. We'll provide help on that. Or, you know, you got in a car accident. It wasn't your fault. We'll provide, you know, whatever. You have a broken femur. Are they going to have to start going through and saying, uh, this is myocarditis. We don't do that. Uh, this is a broken elbow. We do do that. Do you see any any path with that? And again, you have to excuse my 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 softball questions. No, 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 no. It's, it's not a softball. It's not a softball question because that particular issue hasn't really been brought to the higher courts yet, and so we know it's coming. Uh, for instance, another issue that's similar to that is what we're dealing with when uh, an employer forces you to take the shot and you have an adverse reaction. And the question is, is that covered by workers' comp or not? Uh, does workers, and we're also having another issue that we're fighting in, all across the state of Texas right now. When someone is terminated for refusing to take the jab, are they entitled to unemployment compensation? And it's like in the Methodist cases, they're fighting our folks left and right. And so we've been successful in most of those cases right now, but we've gotten a few adversary rulings from one only uh, administrative judge regarding unemployment benefits. So all of the initial action of taking the shot is resulting in a plethora of litigation in so many different areas, starting at the, you know, the administrative level, at a county level, at the state court, uh, federal courts, and then ultimately you're seeing it in circuit courts all across the country and the United States Supreme Court. So it's really become a whole new area of jurisprudence. I call it COVID-19 jurisprudence because it didn't exist before March of 2020. And now you're seeing thousands of cases all around the country as a result of fact patterns that are arising for the first time in the history of our country. Yeah. Could you, could you even argue in sort of a different way um, about the runaway effect this could have on, on, private hospitals if we're all saying let's just let's just go with let's say we're for this argument we go yeah you know no it doesn't stop the uh, this the transmission of it but 
you should still get it because we're overflowing hospitals for other needed operations and procedures. Are we opening the door or could you argue that the door is being opened for private hospitals to start saying, you know, if you're unvaxxed, you can't come in. Every admitting patient is also going to start taking a breathalyzer. Well, yeah, that's a good, good point. I mean, and that is coming. I mean, that's a battle that we're going to be fighting, especially in the more liberal states. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's happening because we have, you know, in, in states like Florida, even in Texas and, and the more conservative states, we have governors that are standing up and issuing executive orders that protect from certain things like that happening. But you are starting to see it in California, New York, places like that where they are far, very far left. So, you know, that's going to play out first, probably in the executive order context. But these executive orders, like we have in Texas, a governor will come in and they'll issue a disaster proclamation. And that disaster proclamation will be good for 30 days. And the governor continues to renew it every 30 days. The only way to remove the disaster proclamation is for the legislature to do so or the governor to do so. So in the interim, while that proclamation is in effect, the governor, at least in Texas, has sweeping powers to issue these executive orders under something called the Texas Disaster Act of 1974. But once that disaster declaration ends, once he refuses to renew it for the next 30 days or the legislature pulls it back, which is unlikely to happen in Texas, um, then we're dealing with a whole lot of uh, counties that are much more liberal than maybe our state elected officials are. So for instance, mask mandates. We've got an executive order right now in place that says that ISDs, independent school districts, cannot force you, cannot force kids to wear masks. Well, we've got in the more liberal areas like Houston, Harris County, Dallas, Dallas County, Bear County, which is San Antonio, those ISDs are just ignoring the governor's order. And so all, and therefore say, come sue us. And so all of those cases right now are going to the Texas Supreme Court. We've been successful in stopping them, but every single time uh, the governor puts something in place, the left just says, we don't care what you say, governor. We're going to do what we think is best. Come sue us. And think about the message that that sends to school kids. If they see their ISD standing up and just thumbing their nose at the governor's orders, then why would a school kid not say, well, my teacher, I don't have to listen to my teacher. You don't listen to your boss. Why should I listen to my superior, which is the teacher? It's just a horrible message that we're sending to school children uh, all across the state of Texas and across the nation. There's another, I mean, almost comical thing about the whole uh, vaccine mandates and abortion, the autonomy. Man, if we're going to argue that the unvaxxed are putting a strain on our hospitals, I mean, should we start checking for IDs? Why should illegal immigrants take up health? And I personally don't believe, I, I you know, as, as much as I don't have the answer, I also just don't like the idea of anyone being turned down at an emergency room. I've been to them. I have been to them not even conscious. I've, I understand life-saving treatment. But are we getting to this weird thing where is the left opening the door for an argument about uh, strain on hospitals? We can't. Where's your ID? We got to save this for Americans. We got to save this for responsible Americans. You could have just got the vax. You could have just got a green card. Is that where we're going? Do we test your blood? Do we take your BMI? Ooh, you're coming in. Okay, broken leg. That's fine. Oh, you having chest pains though? Oh, you got you got some uh, you got some love handles, buddy. Let's check those triglycerides. I don't think so. I'm sorry about that. Hey, you can take it up with a lawyer. 
21 years ago when the uh, when the COVID 2022 precedent was set in the Supreme Court. Listen, this is just what it is now. You know, it's going to be are they going to refer to it as like Roe v. Wade? It's going to be like COVID v. whatever. I mean, is this where we're going? And it's is it again almost an almost comical thing about now we have people like myself who are more conservative leaning saying you can't shut the ER to anyone. You have people on the left saying it's about the greater good and the the health of the Americans. And it's like, I don't even disagree with you, but like, where the hell are we going? Is this just, is this just, is this just God or the universe having fun with us? And that's not even a legal question. I guess that's a, a philosophical hypothesis, but. Well, but you, you hit the nail on the head. Their arguments are completely inconsistent. And so, you know, in the abortion context is couldn't be a better example and so they want to have it one way in one context and the exact opposite way philosophically in the context that fits their political narrative or their worldview and that's the problem that the left has it's but i mean even ourselves i mean we're like we're, we're having you know it's a, I'm, I'm pro-life but uh no don't you can't put that in my body this is my kingdom and it's like hey okay i get what you're saying but yeah man it's a weird it's a weird thing and it's you know, I'm as I'm as pro corporation as you can get. Them. Go out, hustle, go get it. And yet here I am arguing till I'm red in the face about how a private corporation shouldn't be able to profit off a product that I need to enter polite society. It's this weird, in the weirdest way, it's almost like COVID is like the most unlikely glue that might actually force us to reconcile with our differences and see how they really are just parallels of one another. Um, I mean, could you go one step further and say if people of color are disproportionately affected by this by losing their jobs, I mean, could you not just start with like a defund the CDC, defund the (laughs) FDA? Why not start those chants? That could definitely happen. I mean, because, and then, yes, you know, the biggest thing I'm seeing here too, and you take this all the way back to elections, going back to uh, the presidential election, is you have folks using covid as an opportunity to move forward a political agenda that they want. It's an excuse for everything on the left, if you ask me. So again, going back to the elections, we saw um, states and individuals in states, whether that be a governor, a clerk, and we saw it here in Harris County big time, unilaterally making up their own rules that were inconsistent with the election code of that particular state and saying, okay, you can vote by mail in this situation, or we're going to extend early voting hours or days by this many, many, many uh, weeks. All of these things that were completely inconsistent with what the legislature did and why that's important is because the United States Constitution in Article 1, Section 4 makes it very clear that it is the state legislatures that are responsible for determining what the rules are with respect to their state's elections and in federal and Senate and, and House of Representatives races, which trickles down. And so the, the point, I guess, here is that you're seeing the left use COVID-19 as an opportunity to achieve whatever the goal or agenda is for them, whether that be elections, whether that be, you know, it's all about control is what it really boils down to. It's all about controlling individuals and that's what's got to stop. And so that's why we need elected officials that are going to take a stand and pass legislation that prevents this craziness. Like in Texas, I'm shocked that we still haven't passed a piece of legislation that says you cannot terminate someone for refusing to take an EUA product. I mean, 
how that cannot pass is beyond me when you've got a governor that's passed an executive order that says you can't do it. But when we try to memorialize it or codify it in the form of a statute, um, it doesn't pass. And then you've got your lobby, you know, all pushing, you know, whether it be Pfizer or others, you know, doing everything they can to push state reps, whether that be arguably conservative Republicans backing down on it too. So, you know, the whole thing right now is, as you know, still sorting itself out in the courts. But, you know, we need to hold these people uh, accountable. I mean, the, the folks that came in and shut down churches and violated our First Amendment rights for many, many months, if not, you know, a year, then those elected officials need to be held accountable. Those businesses that were destroyed when people put their life savings into them, um, those people that need to be held accountable because too many rights have been trampled on and violated for us to just say, oh, let's move on. Oh, that was a pandemic. We're not going to have that happen again. Let's just forget about the past. And so now it's going to be a lot more about accountability, about holding those individuals responsible for what they did during the pandemic, for trampling on those rights, for taking away those jobs, for closing those businesses, for you know messing with the election system. And unfortunately, there are going to be people on both sides that need to be held accountable for that because it's not just just Democrats that were doing it. There were some Republicans, too, that were very quick to say, let's shut down those places of worship. You know, it's too scary for people to exercise their faith as a, a corporate body. And we had that happen everywhere. We had it happen in Texas and, and some of the most conservative states. But, you know, everybody wants to be now, every Republican at least, wants to be Ron DeSantis 2.0. And, and you know, you go back to their history, they want Ron DeSantis 2.0 until, you know, Ron... Governor DeSantis started making those those bold moves. And so they want you to ignore what they did the first year of COVID-19. And we can't forget that because it'll happen again. Yeah, it will. It will. And I know you got to run in two minutes. So we'll close this out with, in your experience, in your, because obviously you have experience in law. And so you have a better look at this than I do. At the 30,000 foot view, I mean, really zoomed out. Is this just another growing pain of America, just like just like Civil War, just like segregation, just like World War Two, just like Vietnam, the you know, the hippies versus the greatest generation? Is this just another growing pain in, in your mind? That's an interesting way to describe it. Um, it is uh, a pain. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, abuse of power. It is a trampling on the rights that so many sacrificed or paid the ultimate price for us to afford and enjoy today. And when we don't stand against these abuses, we dishonor the memory of those individuals who did pay the ultimate price for us to be able to, to say, I don't want an experimental drug placed in my body in order to work. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think we, we need to, so is it a, it is a pain and it is something that we are experiencing the first time in the history of our country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go back to uh, smallpox and other things of that nature, but it's very different than what we're dealing with today and to the extent that science has progressed um, so much and that we actually have laws that say you cannot force someone to put an experimental drug in their body without informed consent. Yeah. Yet at the same time, we are forcing people 
to put an experimental drug in their body without informed consent by saying to them, if you want to work, if you want to travel, if you want to participate in society, then you're going to have to put this drug in your body. And that's someplace I don't think our founding fathers envisioned us ever going, but that's where we find ourselves today. And that's why we need patriots all across the country, folks like you and others to stand up, to speak up, to refuse to give up, because the only way we lose is if we sit down and shut up. And so that's our message to lawyers, to activists, to individuals, that we lose if we remain silent. We lose if we remain complacent. We lose if we are afraid to be politically incorrect. And so thank God we have good folks like Jennifer Bridges, like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Malik, like yourself and others who aren't afraid. And that's the way we were in this battle, by those patriots standing up and not being afraid and not backing down. Yeah, I guess I guess my my sense of optimism comes from like it's definitely bad, but I also think like could you even wrap your head around right now like the 101st Airborne being sent to escort black kids into school. Can you even imagine what would happen if the National Guard went to Kent State and shot college students? But we we got through it. I'm not saying that they weren't, you know, for nothing, but I look at that and I'm like, that's pretty hardcore. That's insane. And we had riots. We had riots because of like, of Chauvin killing Floyd and like bad Imagine the National Guard shooting, holding MacBooks on, you know, whatever, like Duke's campus. Imagine like the Snapchat videos of National Guard shooting students. But that's nowhere near happening. So I can only imagine that where we are now, in 30 years, someone will be doing a podcast and being like, can you imagine how hardcore that would be if you actually saw people saying, where are your papers? Only 80 years after the Holocaust. I guess that's where my sense of hope is. But then I also see where we are right now. And I realize those weren't just growing pains. There was a trillion little tiny stories like our conversation right now that were happening. They just weren't recorded. So, you know, fast forward 30 years from now, we will know the long term consequences. Yeah. And imagine if we imagine, you know, they want to give it to five year olds now. Imagine if we find out some horrific thing is happening 10, 15 years after you take the shot. Imagine what the repercussions are going to be for that, from that. And so I think only time is going to tell tell us what the ultimate repercussions are going to be with respect to individuals' health. We know there are lots of issues right now in the short term, but what does the 10, 15, 20, 30-year window look like? We don't know. We know that the studies are telling us it's not going to look good with respect to reproductive health and things of that nature. And But then we're going to come back and we're going to say, oh, yeah, we forced uh, 12-year-old girls to take this experimental jab. And guess what? Here are the problems and the repercussions that they're now experiencing in their 20s and their 30s. You know, that is the, one of the biggest concerns I have right now. It's going to be like growing up and having like And so many parents, Tommy, so many parents are like, just, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Dr. Fauci told me to do it. I'm going to go do it. They don't even question it. They don't even look at one study. All they do is watch CNN and hear Dr. Fauci and MSNBC pundits saying it, and they do it. You'd be shocked how many people I've found in that situation where they're just, they can't wait to get in line to put their 12-year-old so their 12-year-old can get the jab. 
And I never thought I would see the day when a parent would be so uneducated with respect to the health of their child. And that to me is shocking. I think it's going to be as absurd, absurd as growing up and being like, yeah, man, like Bob's grandpa's he still thinks that like getting rid of segregation was a mistake. Like everyone had that friend growing up, like, dude, I love my grandpa, but he's kind of a piece of shit about that. He's still angry about like MLK. People knew those people, you know, where it's like, and I'm sure you go back a hundred years, there'd be guys be like, like world war one, like, dude, my grandpa still thinks that like the South should have won the civil war. I can only imagine what we, cause we will know. We will know it's, and I don't know who it will be. Maybe I'll be on the wrong side. Be like, dude, Tommy, Tommy thought we shouldn't have got the vaccine. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the guy that's like, you know, for the whatever. But I feel like that's what it's going to be. It's going to be like, dude, Bob's grandpa. He still talks about like the dirty unvaxxed playgrounds to be like, dude, that's so you can't say that it's 2050 grandpa. You can't say that. Like we're a progressive society. You can't hate people for not getting an experimental jab back when my day, we put people in their place. And it's like, all right, grandpa, you've had too much to drink. Like, I feel like that's where it's going, but I've kept you five minutes longer than I said I would. So You're being great. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on Tommy. Yeah, man. I'd love to have you on again sometime. Mr. I'd love to come back. Jared Woodville. Thank you. So Thank much you, my friend. Answer. I'll send you the episode when it's up. God bless and uh, take care, everybody. God bless you, brother. Appreciate you. You as well, man. Thank you.